Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. If you've lived in Little Rock over the past 10 or so years, then chances are you've heard of my guests, the two Jewish guys, Phil Kaplan and Leslie Singer. Though the two men have a lot in common, they haven't always known each other. Leslie Singer, an ad man and once VP for Fairfield Communities near Hebrew Springs, Arkansas, and Phil Kaplan, a civil rights attorney in private practice, First meeting was as volunteers at an on-air fundraiser for KUAR radio station. They became fast friends, finding out they both were born in the Northeast, both moved to Little Rock in the 1970s, and both grew up in the Jewish culture. On air, their commonalities and dry humor, coupled with listeners' curiosity, made for great storytelling and Jewish shtick. So much so that their popularity grew and the Christmas charity event called the Two Jewish Guys Hanukkah Show, a Little Rock Christmas tradition, was born. Leslie Singer and Phil Kaplan, the Two Jewish Guys. One of the big questions when Jews get together is, was there anyone in the Talmud named Madison? In a Jewish family, is tiger mom just another term for an amateur? If, if Harry Potter were Jewish, wouldn't he have gone to a better school? If your daughter were a chiropractor, would you always add the words to the stars? I cook potato latkes. This is not only my tradition, it is the tradition of every Jew who's ever lived. But Leslie Singer and Phil Kaplan are more than their stage names suggest. (laughs) Along with being the endearing two Jewish guys, they are a combination of savvy businessmen, authors, musicians, activists, and more. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the smart and fun-loving two Jewish guys, ad man Leslie Singer and attorney Phil Kaplan. Hello, Carrie. Talk about how happenstance first meeting at KUAR's fundraiser. Who wants to set the scene for that? Well, there's a Yiddish word, bashert. It's faded. Bashert. Can you say bashert? Bashert. 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 It's faded. Well, we were obviously faded. See, I had an office on what was then the Main Street Mall. And um, I'd go out and maybe get a little lunch. And Leslie was an inveterate walker. He was walking. I was always walking. He was always walking. And he was walking on the Main Street Mall. And I'd see him on the Main Street Mall, and he was there with Don Evans, a now-retired architect, who was not very funny, actually. So 
I don't, I'm sorry I even <laughs> mentioned his name. <laughs> um, <laughs> at any he makes rate. me laugh. So I saw um, I saw Leslie and this other fellow, and um, we would uh, chit chat um, occasionally. And then one day I had been doing the um, the fundraiser with somebody else whose name I now can't recall, and uh, they inserted Leslie. They didn't think I could handle it by myself, so they inserted Leslie into this. Uh, cramped little room and uh it was magic it was bashert but let me let me tell you the, the little more detail about it so we're in the room it's the fundraiser you know t- twice a year and for KUAR. for KUAR public radio and um other, they do that all week and so every day of the week they have several other hosts doing the same thing those guys basically or women would they'd come in and they'd basically beg for money and it was kind of boring, you know. And it wasn't boring, kind of. It was, it was exceedingly. <laughs> it was kind of exceedingly boring. Yeah. And we said, let's not do that. Let's, why don't we just do this? This was all in the spur of the moment. Why don't we just do a show? You know, like you're a little kid. Hey, let's do a show. So we said, okay, let's do a show about being Jewish. And we'll just call it the two Jewish guys, and we will just ad-lib our way through it, and we'll talk about what it's like being Jewish and our Jewish backgrounds and a Jewish culture and Jewish jokes, blah, blah, blah. And we did that, and it was it was pretty big. I mean, people really liked it. A lot of people called in. And, you know, the deal was if you had done this in New York, nobody would have cared. But it's not that common, you know, to have two guys talking about being Jewish or Judaism. Who were aberrations. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it was lighthearted, and we were making fun of ourselves, and we were making fun of everything. And so it clicked. So they asked us to come back and come back. And we, at one point, they said, um, how about you guys do a live show? And this was not at the Clinton Center yet. This was like at one of the buildings at UALR. It was at the Extension Center. Yeah, yeah. Extension Center is where um, the people who need farming help or gardening help, that that kind well, of thing. It's the, It was alien to me. Well, it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the fact that it was a little auditorium. So we went up there live, and we did this thing in front of like 75 people. No. Ten. <laughs> Really? Ten people. It seemed... <laughs> Ten people. I guess it was a small room. It seemed more crowded to me. <laughs> so we did it, and everybody loved it. And we had our mothers on. It it still caught on, and it was a lot of fun. Finally, the station just said, let's keep doing this. Then they moved us over to the Clinton Center. Didn't and, we do it at the Dara Library? Yeah, we did library. it the next year was at the Dara Library. Right. We never got to Verizon. This has been a sad story. <laughs> it, has, it has. It has. <laughs> I regret Not even that, Robinson Auditorium. I regret. Well, we were at Robinson we, Auditorium. We, we we appeared with the symphony at you know as one of their holiday acts. The two Jewish guys, a Little Rock Christmas tradition, like you said. So we'd go up and we'd do a little shtick, and that was written, of course. That's like, what I was going to say. Are you still ad libbing, or are you? No, no. And the Christmas show was not ad lib. The Chris, the Hanukkah show rather was. We scripted. had acts with script. We you know we had music acts. We had our thing kind of worked out. It was. Not really scripted, but, you know, loose. Like Well, this. we would get together, and we said, all right, we got 60 minutes. How are we going to divide the 60 minutes? So uh, he's better at math than I am. So he took a little piece of paper on a clipboard, and he said, okay, two minutes, introduction, two minutes. That was very professional. Yeah. Very professional. Then we said, uh, the blessings on the candles, on the Hanukkah candles. 
three minutes. So anyway, that's how the show started. <laughs> and we did it for like five or six or seven oh, years. Oh, yeah. And then we decided we're not going to do it anymore just because, it, A, it was a, a lot of work. B, we want to go out on top. Oh. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I always say this. I always say, Phil, who really is a, a major force in this town, he won't agree. Well, he'll agree no, quietly. No, I, I don't agree. You don't agree. But Phil has a great reputation, an outstanding lawyer, has done a lot of great work for the city, for the, the civil rights, everything. And, you know, he's a Harvard graduate and all this kind of thing. And this is what he's known for, being one of the two Jewish guys. I think that's sad. <laughs> oh. I think it's um, my crowning achievement. Well, we're going to talk about your crowning achievements. Okay. Because they are many. Um, but before we move on to each of y'all's crowning achievements, because you both had a great career before you became the two Jewish guys. And the reason that that's so popular is because it, it's, it can go viral. And you're speaking to, and it's humorous. And I mean, people just love that. You make people laugh, they love you. I Not never, everybody loves I this. never dated a guy that, I, that didn't make me laugh. You never dated a guy that what? Didn't make me laugh. Yeah, that's important. Oh, it's very but you know, important. there's a lot of, there are some uh, Jewish people in this town who don't like what we do. That's interesting because well, they like, think we stereotype it too much. Mm-hmm. Well, you said this, Leslie. Interesting enough, at least two-thirds of our audience are not Jewish. You went on to say, that really inspires me, that they are interested in the religious and cultural part of Judaism. They enjoy a peek into another culture, and they like it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do feel that, that way. And I, I think, I mean, that's not why we do it necessarily, but I think we have found a lot of People who really like it and like learning about what Judaism is and what it means and what it's kind of, you know, not at the highest religious levels, culturally mostly. Mm-hmm. But there are some of people in our community, in our faith community that say, you know, you guys are stereo, you know, you're, you're feeding into the stereotypes. Because we would do make comments about, you know, buying wholesale and this kind of thing. But frankly, that's what Jewish humor is. You know, mm-hmm. self-deprecatory. self-deprecatory. You're kind of ahead of your time. It's there's a popular oh, Netflix. Oh. Always, always. Ahead oh, of so time. proud to be ahead of my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, there's a Netflix series now. I uh, can't remember the name of it. Of two Jewish guys that did really well, a comedy act. You know what I'm talking about? No. No. Well, the Kaminsky Method is clearly two guys, yeah. two Jewish guys. They are. That. One is an actor, and the other is an, an agent. agent, and they're. They are stereotypically Jewish, too. Yeah. You, can, you can. It's not hard to tell. This is a great place to take a break. We come back. We'll continue our conversation with and learn more about the two Jewish guys, Leslie Singer and Phil Kaplan. And we will find out about their careers because they both had great careers. We'll be back after the break. I thought it would be interesting. You know, Jews have stories. <laughs> So I thought I would invite Melanie here to read one of her stories from the South, and I will translate into the Yiddish version of the story. Is that okay? I was sitting at my grandmother's home in Gulf Shores. I was sitting at my Bubby's apartment in the Bronx. At the old oak table in the pale yellow kitchen with greenish gray concrete floors that overlooks the azaleas and live mossy oaks that flank the two-acre backyard. At the old formica table in the kosher kitchen with the flowered linoleum 
that overlooks the potted geraniums by the fire escape. When I heard the flowered Safeway dish shatter into a million tiny pieces. When I heard the dish that we got from Wallbaums shatter into two million pieces. <laughs> Jewish accidents are always worse. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, and in 2014, Brave Magazine, a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting, inspiring, and educational. Stay up to date by going to flagandbanner.com and joining our email list. You'll receive our popular Water Cooler Weekly email that notifies you of upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at flagandbanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. TheFlagandBanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with the smart and witty two Jewish guys, Leslie Singer, ad man, and Phil Kaplan, civil rights attorney extraordinaire. Before the break, we talked about how the Jew, the two Jewish guys came to fruition, how they, how it started. How long ago was that? Ten years ago? More. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Fifteen, almost, probably. Um, at least 15 close, years Close ago. to 20 years ago. And their rise to stardom that they didn't know was going to happen that probably people in New York City would just love. Uh, and then... Uh, and yet we still try to be just your average person. You know? You know I know. You we're know. so successful at that. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're right. average. We're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't <laughs> say too much more than that. <laughs> Phil, you grew up in Massachusetts, graduated from Harvard Law, and practiced as a field attorney for the National Labor Relations Board. Was it in St. Louis... Or Massachusetts, and to kind of tell us well, about that journey. Well, I went to Harvard College and went to the University of Michigan Law School, and then I worked for the National Labor Relations Board in St. Louis. St. Louis. How'd you go there? How'd you go from Massachusetts to St. Louis? You know, it was something called a job. Just following the job. And following the job, yes. Thought I ought to use that law degree in something that my parents helped pay for, um, and... When you apply for a government position, mm-hmm. um, you go where they tell you to go. And there was an opening in St. Louis. Turned out to be um, a really uh, wonderful experience. We loved St. Louis. And who's we? Were you married at the time? My wife. You were married. And yes, I was married halfway through law school, halfway through my second year of law school, and I sent her to work. <laughs> well. Needed something. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's got it. So she was a, an elementary school teacher for a while. She's now, I mean, she's now a retired social worker. But um, at that point, uh, we lived in Ann Arbor. It was, uh, Ann Arbor was a wonderful town. Couldn't make a living there, but it was a wonderful town. And St. Louis was wonderful uh, and wonderful experience also. Worked learning a lot about employment and labor law. So and I got up? an offer. Uh, to come to work for a firm 
here that was then known as McMath, Leatherman, Woods, and Youngdahl, now the McMath firm, Governor McMath, and then Judge uh, Henry Woods and a man named Leland Leatherman and Jim Youngdahl, who uh, handled the employment work at that firm. And I left after about uh, 13, 14, 15 months, something like that, and um, became associated with John Walker in what later became Walker, Kaplan, and Mays. How did you, 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 you were affected by the Central High. I was in college uh, during the Central High business, and there was a um, man at Kirkland House where I was uh, who was from Little Rock, and he took a considerable amount of ribbing um, as a result of the closure of and sending troops in all of the whole terrible uh, business. Um, but soon after I joined John, um, we actually before I joined John, uh, there was a um, a trial about busing in Little Rock um, before uh, Judge the late. Gordon Young, and I uh, represented a bunch of white parents who uh, were proposing uh, that busing be the alternative to desegregate the schools. At that point, the only uh, desegregation was freedom of choice, and that resulted in almost no um, desegregation at all. So, um, I mean, it's a, a long history and a long story. You were on several big cases, and I want to come back to them, but let's jump over to Leslie now. So, Leslie, before you came to live in Arkansas, you were a successful drummer. Telling us about, tell us about your career. It was pretty successful. What was the name of your band? Well, I was in several bands as I was growing up, uh, starting in like maybe junior high school and through high school. But uh, the two bands that sort of took me the to places that were the most unusual was um, a, a group called the Unloved, which was a soul band. This is prior to the bigger band. Unloved. The Unloved, L-U-V apostrophe D, as, as, <laughs> as was the fashion back there in the, you know. And this was, a, this was a soul band, and it was a very good band. We, had, we really thought we were going to make it. We had a big manager. Who had, and a big musical attorney in New York named Warren Troub, and we had a secret under-the-table partner, which is, you know, remember Paola and all that kind of thing. We had, this wasn't Paola, but there was a guy in New York named Scott Muni who was a major uh, radio DJ, and FM had just started. That's how old this is. And Scott Muni was a secret partner with our our manager, Paul Minio, and we had these two women who wrote songs for us, both of whom had had hit records, like with Wilson Pickett and other people, and this was going to be it. Yeah. And we just knew it, and it wasn't, which just <laughs> never happened, you know. Uh, we played a lot of great clubs. We actually opened once at a, at, at a, like a Miss New York State contest. We opened for James Brown, if you can believe that. Wow, this so was impressed. a good. This was a good band. We played at the Peppermint Lounge, and you know all that good kind of cool stuff. But we never made it big. But 
It, it was almost beside the point because it's the late 60s. You're in New York. You're in the rock and roll business. You know, it wasn't going to get much better than that for kids our age. Left that band. I was sort of recruited to another band called The Unspoken Word, which went to school up at Brown University and Rhode Island School of Design up near mm-hmm. where you were. They were like a more of a, they had a woman lead singer, Dee Dee. Her name was Dee Dee. And they were more like psych rock, you know, psych, like psych, not psychedelic, but quietly, you know, ethereal. And, and they were really good. So we got a great recording contract with them with ATCO, which is an Atlantic Records. And uh, we did this first album, which was a concept album called Tuesday, April 19th. And, you know, people don't know what concept album is. Well, concept means. album means that there was like a story behind it. It wasn't just, you know, 14 songs or something. It was, it was some kind of a, there was more to it. There was a story. Frankly, there really wasn't. We were trying to make more out of it than it really was. What was, was the name of the album? It was called Tuesday, April 19th, which was meant to be just a day in the life of this person. I never because really understood. Because it's a story. Because it's a story. Now, it doesn't really read like a story of anybody's day. It it frankly doesn't. But this was the 60s, man. You could just say anything and do anything. And Bob Dylan was writing all these ballads. Yeah, and these long things. That was well-received. But then we, uh, that wasn't really us. It, we received by whom? By the, <laughs> by local, it was on the radio. Yeah. You know, and, and it got good reviews. You know, As by my different mother music. Would say, never heard of it. Never heard. Well, most people never heard of it. No, most people didn't. But those <laughs> I who say did, <laughs> those who did, liked it. So then we did our. Uh, we How said, do you say never heard of it in Yiddish? No. How do you say that? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, say that, Gray, son, Gray. <laughs> so. Um, so we did it. A fan, it was a fancy album. It had a big orchestra and everything because we said, this might be the only album we do. Let's make it significant. Strings. But it really wasn't us. Strings you had. Yeah, big orchestra. Strings really? and everything, yeah. Brass. The whole, every instrument, Phil. Literally every <laughs> instrument. Timpani, everything. Timpani. So, timpani, even. Did and, you have uh, the little triangle? We had the triangles. We had cymbals. We had the tuba. Did you have a gong? We had an oboe. We had a gong. No, you did not. I don't think we had a gong. We could have had a gong if there was a gong part. Anyway, we did that, and so it didn't really. So, but really, we were really not that kind of a band. We were a really kind of a hard-driving blues band. And so our next album, just simply called The Unspoken Word, was that. It and did better? It did better. And a matter of fact, it got reviewed in Rolling Stone magazine and got a great review in Rolling Stone magazine. I mean, they really liked it. And uh, so we toured around with that, but still never really made it into the. So tell the listeners what that day also happened on that day. So you just picked this day randomly. Tuesday, oh, you're talking about Tuesday, April 19th. He told me this right before we went on the air. Oh, I was well, like, this the is first freaking album, me out. The, it, I've tried to create this. I haven't really tried. I thought about trying to create this buzz about this album, which is available, by the way, like on eBay and spot uh, you can hear it in different places tuesday april tuesday april 19th by which was the unspoken, by the unspoken word. word which was just a random date that i actually came up with just off the top of my head but what happened was tuesday april 19th several years later was the waco massacre remember when waco David when that whole Koresh, com- Koresh Koresh and, the, and the, mm-hmm. that communal group got you know and then 
a couple of years later was the Oklahoma City bombing. Which I cannot was believe those two, were on the same two days. Two, well, I think they were related to each other. I think the Oklahoma City bo- bombing was in as a result of the Waco thing. In other words, somebody was saying, oh. I'm going to celebrate, you know. Celebrating. Yeah, celebrating. So I've tried to create this. I've, I've, I've fantasized about creating an artificial buzz about how if you listen to the unspoken word Tuesday, April 19th album, there's all these hints that some big stuff was coming down. Would that be fake buzz? That's fake buzz, we call that. <laughs> so, but it wasn't. I mean, it's because you can project anything into anything. So, Phil said it's because you have to play the, the, the album, album backwards. backwards. Yeah, no, have to. But literally, these two albums are still, they're on, you, you know, I think you can get them on Amazon, or you, I know somebody re released them in CD. I'm going to go listen. Yeah, they're pretty good. They hold up. They held one. You miss is a very, playing the drums? Yes, a little. Not you don't play it all anymore. Not much. Every once in a while, I sit in. But How's your I, hearing? My hearing's great. I don't really? have any problem. <laughs> yeah, really. No, I uh, I don't have any hearing problems. But it ta- I've lost some of my drumming chops. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like not speaking a language. You know, if you don't speak it for a long time, you sort of lose it. But I think I could get it back. But I don't really want to. I'm into other things these days. Don't ask me what I'm into. Eating. He's, he's, you can tell by looking at him and he's walking down the street. He's got rhythm. Oh, yeah. And he's I, got, I got, he's got, got swagger. Because his hands are going in a different way than his feet. You know, and his head's going one way well, and his hands are going another way. You call that way. swagger? And that's what that's... a drummer has to do. A drummer has to have yeah, the ability to have one rhythm going in one hand and different on the other hand and yeah. something on his foot. They have names for that. You know, like it's called bass drum independence. You know, like your oh, foot, really? your right foot has to do, do. But you have to practice. It's not like you can just do it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to practice mm-hmm. like being an actor. So anyway, all in all, a very, very fun musical career, which basically determined the whole pathway of my life. Because the band got me to Arkansas. The band. How got did me. it do that? Well, we were. We were getting ready to write the second album, and a friend of mine in New York had met a communal group that was living in Arkansas. Very popular at the time. Yes. And he said, why don't you guys come down to Arkansas and live with us mm-hmm. for a month or so and write your album down there? And that just sounded like the coolest thing ever. So we did. And we came down, and we wrote the album, and then we went back to New York. But... um so you went back to New York? I went back to New York, but then came back down to Arkansas. Because you fell in I love liked, or something? Because I liked it here. Oh, you just liked it here. I you said liked... when you went back to New York, you sold you sold shoes. Oh, yes, oh, that's great. <laughs> so here I am, Mr. Big Shot Musician, uh, at the top of my musical career. I go back to New York. Uh, I had already not only been a musician, but I had gone into advertising, sort of got hired at an ad agency. When I left this communal group after about three years, I got a job with an ad agency. And... Uh, the woman I was married to at the time, she was from New York also, and we thought we missed it. Mm-hmm. So we moved back to New York. Well, I couldn't get a job in New York in advertising. No way, because here I am from Little Rock, you know, and and it was the recession. And the only job I could get was selling women's shoes in Bergdorf Goodman, which is a high that end, high end, high end mm-hmm. Fifth high Avenue, end. you know. But I was terrible shoe salesman. I was terrible. And... Uh, but I did sell shoes to Greta Garbo. That's the highlight no. of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Size nine Papagallo flat. <laughs> and I, I never, I'll never knew forget that, Leslie. You didn't tell me. Well, I don't, you don't know everything, Phil. You don't know everything. <laughs> well, I got secrets. now everybody else yeah, knows. Everybody knows. 
So I, I stayed there nine months, and I wrote to my boss here in Little Rock, and I said, can I have my job back? He said, absolutely, come on back. I'll give you a raise. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. And, and so I came back, and I've been here now like 45 years. Wow. And I like, you know, I love it here. Top that, Phil Kaplan. Yeah, Phil Kaplan. Would you sell shoes to Mr. Harvard? I can't. Mr. Harvard University. But Mr. Harvard I will College. Say this. College. You know, my father was a kosher butcher, so I worked in the butcher shop. I never, never cut a piece of meat. I was going to say, you got that. your fingers. What did you do? I cleaned. I was a cleaner. <laughs> you had to have, you had to be clean, right? In a butcher shop? Sure. Charming. And so then they made, they made kosher delicacies like knishes and kreplach. In Kishka. You know Kishka? No. You don't know Kishka? Kishka. Sausage. Kishka is called, Sausage. in English, it's called stuffed derma. That's that's skin? Derma? Yeah. Well, it's intestine. It's a sausage. Yes, it's like a sausage, yes. And only so, worse. <laughs> yes, only. <laughs> you still yeah. eat that? And you know, do you eat it? Do yeah, you, you still eat, eat that? Do you yeah, still you eat it? Yeah, you cook it and you eat it. And it's... Um, Delicious. But... It's about the worst thing you can have for a heart condition, you know. <laughs> it is, um, and I think maybe it, I had a stent put in about a year ago. I think it caught up from with From the kishka. <laughs> from the kishka. Yeah, yeah. it's called the kishka stent. Yeah. But knishas, you know knishas? You don't even know knishas. I don't. You see, this is... Sad. We have to educate you. Well, this is what the two Jewish guys in the Christmas show or the Hanukkah show would talk about. We talk about knishas... And the foods we ate. You know what I used to eat? I used to eat, well, maybe this is a, tell me if this is a certain thing. Boiled chicken's feet. Did you ever yeah. eat that? No, but I know. You know people that do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a southern thing, I think. Yeah. Or, well, a, or an Asian thing. I think they eat that a lot in Asia. Yeah. Well, you know, that was one of the things. How about so. this one? Bissel. Bissel? Well, yeah, uh-huh. That means a little. So you could eat a little... You little kishka. Bissel kishka. Yeah, is about all that you want to eat. I speak Yiddish now. <laughs> you speak Yiddish. You don't want to take too much more. All right, let's so, take a break. Oh, you got something else to say? No. Come on. No. Come on. Come, Come on, on, bring well. it, Phil. No, I'm fine. Tell, tell them about your cross-dressing thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to let too many people know about that. Okay, we'll take a break then. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the retired but still very interesting and funny KUAR's two Jewish guys, Leslie Singer and Phil Kaplan. If you regularly get email blasts from flagandbanner.com, make sure you look at your latest one closely. There's a code you can use to get 15% off your orders all year next year. Look at that latest email blast from flagandbatter.com closely. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and we're just laughing it up back here. I'm speaking today with the smart, witty, two Jewish guys, Leslie Singer, ad man, and Phil Kaplan, civil rights attorney. So before the break, we talked about Phil cross-dressing, then we talked about Leslie cross-dressing, and then we found out that they really don't cross-dress. And no. not that there's anything wrong public. with that. Not in public. Not anyway. in public. No, in the privacy of one's home. There you and go. And there's nothing wrong with that. I Absolutely. don't want to be smirch cross-dressers. That's right. You're right. You're right. So um, let's go back to Phil. You came to Little Rock. You were on some, you, you had some huge. Um, well, uh, the first big case cases, was. Three big cases. Well, but the first one was I got a call from uh, Judge J. Smith Henley, who was one of, at that time, only two federal judges in Little Rock. He had, he had two prior 
prison cases, one involving the strap and one involving the Tucker telephone. Tucker telephone. Do you know what that was? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, that was a a method of punishment, uh, more torture. uh, It involved attaching electrodes electrodes to one's genitalia. Oh, no. Well, yes. That's what what That's a real story? That is a true story. What year was this? Well, it was 1964 or five. Oh, we've come no. a long way, baby. <laughs> Maybe. So at any rate, but he had he had lots of uh, uh, petitions, prisoner petitions stacked up, and he wanted to do something about it. So he called me, and he called Jack Holt Jr. And Jack Holt Jr. Uh, was a pretty well-known criminal defense lawyer. You know, Jack then became the Chief Justice of the Arkansas Supreme Court. So, um, at any rate, he called us. He said he wanted somebody with some civil rights experience, and he wanted somebody who was a real lawyer. And he, Jack was the real lawyer uh, who understood um, that these prisoners um, were a particular group that he said I might not be familiar with. At any rate, so we um, we embarked on... Uh, a trial. We went down to the prison. At that time, um, the Arkansas legislature appropriated zero dollars for the Arkansas penitentiary system. It was all self-supporting. There were no prison guards that carried guns. Only inmates carried guns. And you know, you you seem surprised. I am surprised. Really? Well, it's not everybody. That's, yeah. What do you that's mean inmates? What, you mean inmates were acting as guards? I think inmates if you were a good guard, you got and to... they manned they manned the guard towers. The inmates did. Yeah, and they had rifles. Yeah, and why didn't they and, just shoot everybody and leave? Well, they would shoot if you if you tried to leave. They would shoot you. Oh. Yeah. Target practice. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're not supposed to leave, so yeah. that was their directive. Those were some good inmates that they didn't just get up and leave. And so it, I mean, it was a, it was a dark and, and dreadful place. And after um, a couple of trials or a couple of um, several sessions, actually, most of the sessions were about a week long when we would call these prisoners up from the, uh, from, um, not Tucker at that time, it was Varner from Cummins Prison Farm. And um, the judge declared the whole prison system unconstitutional. So Jack and I, then, in follow-up litigation, we spent more time in prison than most inmates. Most inmates, you know, were there three or four years. Jack and I were there 10 years or so. Interviewing people? I'm sorry? Interviewing people? Oh, well, with that case. Yeah. Yeah, well, we interviewed people. Then we finally were able to get some young lawyers, uh, law students, to help us with the interviewing. So uh, it took 10 years? I'll tell you, the the case never really got settled until um, Bill Clinton became the attorney general. And he said, we've got to put an end to this terrible litigation. We're going to settle it. And he did. Was it a good outcome, I guess? It was a, it was a good outcome. Except that um, prisons uh, are always, well, they are, I guess, the most 
unmanageable of societal institutions. They're just um, not uh, prone to the same kind of uh, systemic um, solutions that... And they're uh, not sexy to work on. I mean, who wants to work on those? Who wants to go, okay, I'm working on solving the prison system, but they need to. I mean, it's not... Well, there are are people who are, are hard at work at it. But it requires a, a very special, dedicated kind of person. At any rate, um, one of the funny things was that when, uh, although uh, Dale Bumpers was a great governor, uh, he hired to run the prisons, he hired a couple of people from Texas, which had a prison system worse than ours, if that's possible. The prison systems in the South that had prison farms, uh, Parchment in Louisiana, um, Mississippi had a prison farm system, and, and they they were terrible, these people who came up from um, Texas. They were awful. And uh, But Clinton put an end to that and uh, decided he would uh, prepare a settlement, and we, we settled it. You yeah. had two other ones. You argued against the teaching of creation in the Arkansas public school public schools. I mean, both of those are big policy changers. And then you had another one I think our listeners might be interested in. It's the one where you were the lead counsel for the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville and the Board of Trustees in a lawsuit, Richardson, Richardson, right. Nolan Richardson versus Sugg in 2006. Right. Well, that was when the university fired uh, Nolan Richardson, who was the head basketball coach at the and, time. And beloved by the state of Arkansas. Well... Except for at that time, people were kind of mad Except by that time, he was losing. So yeah. you're always loved when you're a winner. Mm-hmm. You ain't so much loved when you're a loser. So he said some disparaging remark, didn't he? He did. What was it? Or can you repeat well, it? I don't he, even remember. It, it, was, it had to do with recruiting. And, um, you know, now he's back in the good graces and um, they've, they've named the court after him. Um John Walker, the late John Walker, represented Nolan, and I represented the university. And it you won. A, we won. Yeah, no. Yeah. Bill always wins. I don't always win. You win all the time. You know, if a lawyer tells you that they win all their cases, he either doesn't handle any cases <laughs> or he's lying because no. you can't win every case. Um, it's just not possible. But I did win that case, and we won the creation science case, too. You win the big cases. I won the big ones. The yeah. policy the policy changes. The big, I mean, those are some big no, policy this changes. Is what, what, what were y'all's family life like? Were they the similar? Were y'all's families growing up similar? I think somewhat mm. similar. Yeah. Um, family life is growing up, you mean? Mm-hmm. I had a brother who's deceased now, my late brother. Um, my parents were immigrants. They came to this country. Um, both of them came right after the First World War. And their fathers, both my mother's father and my father's father, came right before the war. And then the war broke out, and they were unable to leave. And they came from my father from what is now Lithuania, but was then uh, probably Poland or Russia. The lines changed. My mother from 
Uh, her, she had family in Latvia and R- Russia. What, what language did they speak in the house? Well, they quickly spoke English, but they spoke Yiddish. That's why you know so many words. They spoke Yiddish in the house, and my, my father's parents um, spoke Yiddish their whole life. My grandmother, my mother's mother, had a little uh, a store where she sold women's hosiery and corsets and um, other uh, women's undergarments. So she she spoke English. She had to. What's the word for undergarments? I have no idea. Yes, you do. Oh, I yes, have it written do. here. I have it written here somewhere. Oh, um, come on. Let me see. Underspoken. No, until something under is under. Under. Unter Kleider. Um, uh, oh, here. Unter Socken. Under things. Pull up your britches. Your Unter Socken are showing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're showing. <laughs> well. Is that, am I saying it right? Close. Well, probably. Probably. That's what it looks like. <laughs> because it's not a word that I commonly I'm use. surprised you don't. Your grandmother didn't use yeah, it Yeah, we're going back time. to that well, cross-dressing thing again. My father used to say. Oh, he said don't Oh, see, you're right. He used gotkas. gotkas. What's that one? Gotkas were. Oh, yeah, gotkas. Yeah, gotkas, I underwear. think, were underwear. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, let me tell you about, let me just interject, because I have a story that relates to that. And you're talking about, first of all, you were talking about St. Louis, and then you were talking about where your parents came from. My father was born in St. Louis and moved to Poland. That's backwards. How Polish is that? <laughs> you mean stupid? Well, you mean stupid? Well, I don't want no. to say that. But what it was actually brilliant. It was actually brilliant. His oh. parents, who were from Poland, came to this country. His mother gave birth to him in this country. They came here legally, gave birth to him in this country. So now he's a citizen took him back to Poland where he was raised till he was about 18 years old. And then he was allowed to bring them back oh, as a citizen. Oh, that was brilliant. So, that and, was. And, and my parents, they were, they, my grandparents on, on my dad's side were uh, in the tailor business, tailoring. And they, uh, their name wasn't Singer, their name was Plotz, P-L-A-T-Z, which was a pretty common Polish name but not a very nice-sounding American name. But everywhere in their store was Singer sewing machine equipment. The calendar said Singer, and the equipment said Singer, and this said Singer. They, said, they thought this they is, were related. This is, no, they just said, this has got to be a great American name. We're going to change our name to Singer. So I'm actually named after the sewing machine. <laughs> what was their original name? Did you Plots. Plots. P-L-A-T-Z, plots. Yeah, and plots is a Yiddish word, too. It means, it means fall down. To, right? Well, to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he plots. Yeah, he well, plots in from us. You, you could die from this. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you could die from yeah, I could plots. So, uh, and then my, uh, my other side of the family came from uh, Russia, Ukraine, actually now. And uh, they were in the hand laundry business. So we came from, you know, pretty modest stock. My father was a house painter, you know, and uh, my mother just... Nobody in your family played drums or music? Nobody. You just got it. You just nobody. got it. I just got... Well, I'll tell you the story real quickly. I've told this story before because I think it's fascinating. I can trace my life up to this very minute sitting here with you from the time, from the day at just prior to my fifth birthday in Cleveland, Ohio, where we lived for a couple of years, going to a, to a department store with my mom 
and seeing a toy set of drones, you know, up on a shelf and saying, ooh, I want that. And the next thing, uh, a couple of weeks later, a big old box comes to the apartment and it says, do not open until November 19th, which was my birthday. And inside was this little toy set of drums. So, of course, I loved them and I would just knock around on them. I didn't know how to really play them, but I loved them. Comes the third, now we, we're in New York on Long Island, comes the third grade. Who wants to be in the band? I raise my hand. I say, well, I'm... I know how to play the drums, you know, which I, and so I'll be in the band. Well, the, like I mentioned earlier, playing the drums took, has taken me throughout my whole life. You know, it got me through, I earned my living through college that way. I made all my friends that way. I met all my wives that way, <laughs> and uh, literally, and um, moved to Arkansas because of that. And here I am, you know, 76 years later or 70, 70 years, because it was my fifth birthday, uh, because of that one day, uh, you know, coming across a drum set. You never know. You don't know. You know, I could have not gone, you know, with my mother that day, and I might still be selling shoes in Bergdorf Goodman. <laughs> uh, you're also an author. You have a really well, weird hobby, Leslie. I, <laughs> I'm not. In I, fact, I brought the book. I am an author in the sense that I have two books published, but I don't consider myself an author. Although I am a writer in the sense of that being is a true. copywriter. You are a copywriter. I'm That's a copy, what you did as an ad man. Co- right. Did you ever write a book, Phil? You should. Never. You no. should. My kids and my wife want me to write a book about my life. You should. Um, I'm hesitant to do it. For one you could thing, just dictate it. Well, I'm not a great writer. I'd so have dictated. to have somebody. Well, maybe I will one day. Right. Well, my book is mostly Look. pictures. Yeah, Zap. Zap. Now, Rachel. I bought this from you. You did? Ten years oh, ago. Oh, you're the person. <laughs> <laughs> when you had a show, tell everybody what it's a book of. Nobody well, knows I, what we're talking I about. Collect, as a kid, I was a space cadet. I was really into space uh, cadets and all that kind of a thing. And it had a lot of ray guns. So I decided to collect vintage toy ray guns. And um, so I did. It a, was before the Internet. How did you find out all this stuff about them? How did you oh, do all I this research? Oh, I used to research? go to antique shows all over the country. It was prior to the Internet. That's right. That's what I told somebody when you were coming on. I showed them this book. I said, this doesn't look like a lot to you now because you've got the Internet. But before yeah, you, can, you had the Internet. You had to go. I found every one of those guns just like in an antique. I used to travel around the country looking for space toys. That was a hobby of mine. And my second book, which just came out last year, is called Do You Read Me? That one's called Zap. And the Do You Read Me is a similar style book, mostly photographs, no real. It's a coffee table book. It's a coffee, yeah. And um, it's about vintage communication toys, like walkie-talkies, old, that didn't work, just had string or wire, nothing that really broadcast. But uh, basically, I love the look of it. You know, it's very kind of deco and retro-futuristic, and it's all about imagination. And that's kind of where my, where my deal is from. We've got a few minutes left. Let's do, let's do a vocabulary, Yiddish word vocabulary test. Yeah, let's do that. Dremel. What? Dremel. Dremel is a little tool that you... <laughs> a little Dremel drip. <laughs> an, these, are, these are bonus rounds because they're hard. These are obscure words. Dremel. Mm-hmm. It's a nap. A nap? Have you ever heard a nap called a yeah, dremel? Yeah, it's, it, it just means it's, it's a word for sleeping. 
Malachite. Okay, schluffen. Okay, schluffen. Well, schluffen is um, the actual word. Schluffen. Go, go, but go. I think Dremel That's means. what my grandma used to say to me, who also spoke Yiddish primarily and who I used to understand. I used to listen to Riddish, Yiddish comedy with her on the radio and could understand it. Um, yeah, she always okay. said, schluffen. So if I said to my father or to my mother, there's nothing to do, and they would say, okay, club cup, club cup invent. Go hit your head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's that's good. Give us another one. So. Uh, all right. Uh, kasha, uh, let's see. Kashabol. Kashabinishkis. Oh, no, here's one I can say. I can't say some of these. Malake. No, you can't say it because I have no idea what that is. Malake? <laughs> means work. Harvard is work. Just one hour of this Malake and I get to head home. Oh, it's probably like BS or something like that. No, I so don't, I've work? never heard that. Uh, Where did you right. get these from? Off the internet. Here, Greg, you like find one on that list. This is fake news on the internet. It kind of looks, yeah. from across the table, that kind of looks like something that sounds like malarkey, maybe? It does sound yeah, like malarkey, but, but it's not, not really. No. But, it com- but malarkey, I think, comes from that. Uh, oh, Mishpoka? Yeah, Mishpoka's family. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a popular word. Uh, Minch. I feel like Minch, everybody Minch knows is that a is. big word. Yeah. Yeah. Minch, a man of, or a woman of great honor. I'm just yeah. reading the ones that I recognize. Mishugana. Yeah, crazy. crazy. Yeah. But that's what y'all are, Mashugana. There's your gift. We're about to leave. Oh, thank you. you. This is from Mashugana to Jewish God. That's very nice. Look at that. Phil, you get one too. It's a desk set. Oh, a desk set. Excelsior. Put this on my desk. What's that blue one? I wonder. This one. What's that one? The flag of New York. Flag of New York. Which really only meant to be for one of you, I think. Yeah. The other one's supposed to get Michigan. (laughs) Massachusetts. (laughs) Well, thank you. All right. I love seeing you. This was a lot of fun, Carrie. Come back. Thank on you. there with me, will you? How about next week? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks again for joining me and my guests. For those listeners who might have a great entrepreneurial story they'd like to share, send a brief bio and your contact info to carry at flagandbanner.com and someone will be in touch. To all my listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. And then, till then, be brave. Keep up with the Friends of Dreamland by following us on our social platforms. Facebook is the most reliable way to learn about what the Friends of Dreamland are up to at any given moment, like history and the tours we give and events we sponsor and more. If you're hoping to hold an event or a party at Dreamland Ballroom in the future, Instagram has some of the most compelling images of the Dreamland Ballroom for would-be renters and party planners. To see what the place looks like when it's filled with people and really rocking with a big event, our new YouTube channel has highlights from Dancing into Dreamland and lots of useful information, too, with more to come. And the future looks exciting for the Dreamland Ballroom. Upstairs at Flag and Banner in downtown Little Rock, 800 West 9th Street. The next Dancing into Dreamland event is already set. It's February 11th, 2023. Tickets are on sale now at dreamlandballroom.org. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream. We'll be right back.